With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Fitz, Penn State basketball, pulled off the unthinkable last night. What were your thoughts? My thoughts is we got like 10 questions. None of them are about basketball. So I'm really sorry. Um, that game was too late, man. That's, uh, you know, I'm in, I'm in bed by tip for, for those nine o'clock games. But no, uh, unbelievable effort, uh, unbelievable finish. I saw some clips uh, this morning when I woke up. Yeah, Reggie you watched Story. the replay. I watched, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but that's great. And it's got you in a casual mood, no cardigan today. So it must be a, a nice day in the Valley. So that's good. Um, Took a but, shower uh, and everything. Yeah, it's uh it's a good win. And uh, let's let's go to the first mailbag question from me. Nate, is Penn State going to make the NCAA tournament? Ooh, that's a curveball. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, listen, I've I've learned if, if I've learned anything from this team, it is to expect nothing. Do not do not set expectations. So maybe. And if they right. win on Sunday, that will take that will be a huge step towards getting there because uh, very likely at 10 wins in the conference with uh, a kind of a flurry of quad ones at the end, it should be enough. It should be enough, uh, but it depends on seating and the Big Ten tournament, all that stuff. So you would you would at some point Penn State basketball would have to get the benefit of the doubt. And that's just something that doesn't happen, though. Right. Uh, you, you know, it's, there's, there's resumes and blind things. And I, I, you know, I don't think it's based on simply, Hey, this is Penn state. Let's exclude them. I, I think that they are very, very much poised for at minimum Dayton first four, if they win on Sunday, uh, you know, with the opportunity to improve on that considerably, based on what they do in the big 10 tournament, but they have to avoid, like, this is where you get into the weeds. They can't play. They can't fall to the 11 seed and have to play Minnesota. And that's still in play right now uh, for them in the first, it doesn't matter. It doesn't okay, matter. That's just, our two minutes of Penn state basketball. We're going to move on. Let it happen. Let, Welcome let to it happen. WI daily. It's the mailbag show on Thursday. I'm Sean Fitz. He's Nate Bauer. Uh, T Frank roll the graphic. It's the Thursday before spring break. Yeah, that was awesome. It was the Thursday before spring break. We actually have an open workout to go to later today. Of course, this will be coming out after the open workout. Hopefully, you caught coverage on bluewhiteillustrated.com. Always a fun one because we get out to go see them usually max out squatting. Um, and we get to talk to talk to Chuck Lowe's. It used to be uh, Dwight Galt, who was always insightful. Chuck, very insightful as well. Always one of the things that we circle on the calendar and look forward to at the end of February, just before spring break, before they go off to do their separate uh, things for spring break and come back for spring ball in just over a week. So looking forward to all that. Hopefully check out the coverage on the site. Hopefully you follow along with our socials, uh, follow uh, our YouTube page, subscribe to our YouTube page, like this video, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, Nate, let's get in the mailbag. Yeah, let's let's do it. First uh first question. I'm uh Papa. 
I believe. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, well, it's true. Uh, is there anything to be said about Bo Prabula's total domination of the quarterback workouts? If you checked his collar, I bet it's blue. Funny. Good jokes. Yeah, jokes. We love it. <laughs> we love it. Fitz, what do you got? Uh, Bo is built for this. So regardless of, of any scenario where, where Drew is is not available, Bo was like this last year. I mean, if you followed our coverage, I know we were different sites last year, but everybody kept going back to Bo. He's he's built for this. He is a guy that works his ass off. He's a guy that you gravitate to in the sense that, you know, can be a captain one day. All the, all the things that you look for in winter workouts beyond the throwing the football, beyond all the actual football skills, Bo Perbula is great at like he's 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 works he works hard he's he's really talented as an athlete very versatile uh high com- high competitive nature things like that so like this isn't a surprise no matter the scenario um and it was it was like this a year ago I and mean, Bo was ahead of Drew at this time last year as well yeah totally he's he's I mean I think it's safe to say this is a kid who will start as a quarterback at Penn State at some point in his career whether that's this year, next year, the year after that, obviously there's a bunch to still be determined, but he has that in him. I mean, it it, it is a universal uh, buzz for him, what he brings to the program, how he's respected in the locker room, you name it. I mean, just across the board, have not heard anything really sour, <laughs> right? I mean, there's just, there hasn't been anything that's like, oh, well, if he could just do this. I mean, I, I think if you're, examining um you know who can make all the throws yeah drew aller is in a like he's just got that unique uh special ability as a quarterback but there's also some intangibles and some things that bo perbula does that uh you know are, are warranted in their own right as as being very well respected and um highly thought of so yeah the fact that he also does it in the weight room and in these training sessions that they have in the winter workouts. Uh, not a surprise really at all. I don't think moving on Penn yeah. state 2012. What if any contact can the staff have with Dante Cephas? Uh, they're good on contact with Dante Cephas. So originally this was explained in the sense that he was going to go back to Kent state withdrawal from the portal, finish out and and graduate in the spring. Um, he's still in the portal, which keeps, you know, it doesn't really change many things. Coaches from other schools can still reach out too, but it gives Penn State the ability to keep in contact legally and and have the uh, the, li- the lines of communication open between the two sides. So um, when we were saying that back in December, January, when it became apparent that he was going to go back to Kent State to finish, the plan was to to get out of the portal. But if he stays in the portal, it doesn't really change anything. They're going to ha- they're going to have the ability to. Uh, to get with him with workouts and talk to him and, and stay up and stay on him about uh, finishing out his academic thing. So they can have open lines of communication because he's still in the portal. Be interesting to know what, uh, what Kent state permits him to do if it, you know what I mean? Like within the program, because certainly that's uh, you can either be sour or not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean there, the there situations in like, yeah, the situation that they're in, like you kind of have to. Like this is this is a this is a scenario where you're a max school or you're a lower level school that you're starting to realize that one of your best pitches can be come here, 
get better and go to a bigger school. Like that's yep. how the portal has started to work. So if you block these guys, if you, you know, make it harder for these guys to transfer, that's going to come back and bite you in, in a different area, you know, later with other guys. So Kent state and, and they lost their staff, they lost, or they, they lost a bunch of coaches. They lost a ton of players. They lost everybody. So they're kind of scrambling to begin with. So, I don't think they're going to put their energy into making it harder for one of their best players. And one of their, you know, that that's a marketing chip for them too. Like here's our guy, our, our receiver, you know, our, I think it was quarterbacks at UCLA now receiver at North Carolina receiver going to go to Penn state. You know, they, they had a bunch of guys transfer out and unfortunately that's the belly of the beast with, uh, with the portal and these, these lower level schools, but uh, that's gotta be how you can come back in on the front end and get kids to come to your school, to be honest with you. So um, yep. I, it doesn't make any sense for them to block him to keep it to to make it harder for him to go to a to a program like Penn State. Yeah, I, I meant more along the lines of you know how much they let them uh, let him use the facilities and right. and work out and training all those all those different things that obviously um, a, a program is better positioned to to have those resources right. that a program has. So. In any case, yeah, I don't think he's going to Planet Fitness and you know keeping up with with the Penn State. He could, he could, yeah. he could. Poncho five seventy asks, "Who are your top four position battles?" I mean, that's top four. Like that pretty much covers it, right? That yeah. will have your fullest attention this spring. What yeah, do you, you got? should just ask for one, and we would have given him five anyway. That's how we do it here. I mean. Tell me to stop talking. Okay. Who, who are yours? What do you got, Fitz? Uh, well, wide receiver is a is a wide net because you've got uh, what happens with Keandre Lambert-Smith. Do they move him to the slot? Uh, Cephas is not here yet. Do you keep him outside to work with Liam Clifford and Caden Saunders in the slot? How ready is Malik McLean? Uh, where is Malik Mega in all this? Uh, Trey Wallace jumps really high. Where does he fit into this? Um, so like you have options here. Um, it's just a matter of feeling it out and, and trying to figure out what your best combinations are. And also you have a new position coach in, in Marcus Haggins. And so that's a clean slate for everybody. So you have the ability to make that work. And, and you know, I didn't even mention Omari Evans, some of those redshirt freshman guys um, that can uh, work in there and, and try and make a dent and make a good early impression. Like this is a this is a good chance to reset for that room. And if you look at what was slated to come back, no matter who the coach was, or a reset was was pretty much necessary. So be interesting to see how this all comes along uh, with the new guys, with the the new guy that's not here yet. And uh, yeah, I think that that receiver is it, it, it's an obvious and easy pick, but it's uh, it, it provides you with a lot of options. Sure. I've got safety following you up uh, and, and not in any specific order, right? It, it's with Tick Brown leaving and what he kind of represented. Anthony Poindexter has a variety of options, right? I mean, he can, he can play with, with some of uh, what he does back there is Keaton Ellis. Like some of the storylines of last year don't change in that sense, right? Is steady Eddie Keaton Ellis versus some of the maybe more intriguing upside yeah upside right uh, so so how do you how do you balance that and how do you pick that out right how do you how do you rearrange or order that room uh and go with guys that are, are comfortable and confident i mean the reality especially that safety is they're all going to play a bunch of those guys are going to get to see a ton of reps so i don't think that's in question it's just a matter of how it plays itself out and as is normally the case i would expect it to not be totally settled through the course of the spring yes um but like settled in the sense that i think those are your four guys and those are clearly your four guys so like 
it's a matter of like finding fine tuning things. Jalen Reed's two months off of surgery from his injury in the Rose Bowl. So like, can you expect him to be full go? I don't think so. Uh, in the spring, Keaton Ellis played a lot of football. So this is going to be a really big spring, uh, in terms of opportunity, in terms of reps, uh, for Zaki Wheatley, for KJ Winston, those guys, um, are, I think going to be very good. Um, it's just a matter of how many reps you can get those guys because TIG, um, for everything that he did, he, he played over 600 snaps last year, like more than a hundred more than anybody else on the defense. Like that's pretty ridiculous. And it's going to be tough to fill. You've got talent to do so, but you've got to get those guys reps to get them seasons, uh, to put them in that position. Yeah. Okay. Linebacker. Mike, Mike <laughs> linebacker. Uh, that, that's a position that, you know, people are going to wring their hands about all, all off season. I don't know how much you get accomplished in the, uh, in the spring, uh, between Elsden and King, uh, maybe work Keon Wiley in there. Maybe I think the most intriguing thing about the Mike linebacker battle is do you get Abdul Carter a chance to run in the middle there? Like, cause that would be really nice. Like that would be a situation where you could try and figure out how you keep those two linebackers. Cause you, you think you've got Carter and, and Jacobs and then a gap between whomever is going to take over after that. Um, how do you get those two linebackers on the field? And this is when you fine tune and you couldn't do that in September, but you can do that in April or March and April. So I think that's the most intriguing thing there um, at Mike linebacker. I don't think you have a resolution coming out of spring ball, um, but you, you get a chance to, to assess your options there. And I think that that if it includes Abdul Carter, I think that's a great thing. Yeah. And then I think I'll wrap it up. I think, uh, I think Phil Troutwine has a ton of options on the offensive line. Um, you know, you, you're going to pay more than twice as many as he did this time last year. So yes, he has options. And I think he's pretty happy to have that. Those <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that's, I think that's completely accurate. You've got uh, a left tackle that, you know, for sure. in Olu Fashanu, there's, there's no question about that. Uh, he will stay there. He will be that, but from there over, uh, and this is in no way to diminish, you know, some of the, the starting jobs that were won by uh, a Landon Tangwall, a Hunter Norzad, but is is Norzad the center? Is that the be all end all? Right? Is uh, you know where's JB Nelson in this? Where's Vega Yuane? Like Caden uh, Wallace at right tackle, right versus Drew Shelton. Uh, if that's if that's how they want to go, I, I just think that there's a bunch of players who will all be in the mix there, and it's not necessarily as straightforward as a hey, this guy is locked into this role it's it's finding your five best based on the fact that so many of those guys have position versatility like and that's yeah. you know obviously they stress that so much in the program anyway but it just it really comes into focus i think with with this group this spring and on top of that you have to remember like not all the guys will play a lot like olu there's no reason for olu to play 80% of the snaps in spring. So that opens things up for Drew Shelton. That opens some things up for, for some of the younger guys to tackle. It also, you know, you're thinking Landon's coming off an injury. How much is he going to be able to go? Where does, what does that mean for JB Nelson? I think the backup guards in JB Nelson and Vega Yone are closer to the starters than we've seen in some time in terms of like uh, from one to two. Uh, so that'll be very interesting. And does that mean, um, you know, with, with, if, if Tangwall is not able to go, does that mean Drew Shelton gets, you know, Drew Shelton told me a couple weeks ago that he'll, he'll rep in at guard. That's fine. Uh, Vegione told you that he'll rep in at center or rep in attack. You know, they'll, they'll get a chance to play around with these things. They just have numbers now. And thinking back to a year ago and wondering if there would be a blue white game because they had nine offensive linemen, you couldn't, could not possibly make two teams out of their offensive line. Yeah. They feel a lot better than, than where they are. So 
this is a very different uh, different approach, different uh, opportunity for them to to play around a little bit. And when you think about where Penn State's been with their offensive line, they haven't had an opportunity to play around and tinker with things just because they didn't have the numbers. Yeah. We got to stop. That, that, okay. That's We're not going to. Okay. The duration of the show. Kickers, and uh, we'll come back to that one another time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we've got to move on to the next one. Yes. PSU. Yeah. Yeah. PSU. And we can't stop. PSU 1986 says Franklin's best draft classes have had three players drafted in the first, second, or third rounds. Will the 2025 draft more than double those numbers? I personally see four, maybe five first round draft picks. A lot of excitement for the freshmen here, Fitz. A lot of it. A lot of it. And as an exclamation point at the end, I mean, I, I would I would suggest tapping the brakes on that just because people forget how good you have to be to be drafted in the first two rounds. And and Penn State has guys that are at that potential. Like you look at that freshman class and the impact that they made in their first year and the potential impact that they can have um, over the next couple of years. And it's there, no doubt about it. But like these things change very fast. I mean, you think back two years and you and I were talking about this before the show, think back two years and nobody had Olu as a top first round, second round pick, you know, the, there was potential there obviously, but like these things change a lot throughout the course of guys developing other guys developing faster than them. But yeah, I mean, you've got Singleton Carter, you know, like Drew Aller, uh, Denai Dennis Sutton was a five-star. Um, you've got guys that can really take that next level. And to be on, uh, like on top of that, the guys have the size to do it. Like there's some guys that come in and have the ability and like are really talented and like great players and things like that. But to get to the NFL, to be into those first couple of, of rounds, unless you are a unicorn, you're going to have to have prototypical size and some of those guys they have it and that's that 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 hasn't always been the case with with guys that come in and make an impact right away yeah literally nothing to add a long a long way to go bergenthal bergenthal one i know john scott jr's departure was his decision was this primarily because he did not like the around the clock time required for recruiting and managing 18 to 22 year olds and if Dion Barnes was the pick, wouldn't that have been announced by now? Uh, the second part, no, not necessarily, because you want to interview guys. You want to build out that little black book and get the experience from, from James Franklin's side and from potential coaches where you want to be able to talk talk to these guys. It's not a situation where like it would be an automatic switchover. Like, even, like I think Dion is in the mix like heavily for this job, but at the same time, why would you do that? Like you, it, He's here. Like It's not a situation where you're going to lose him if you don't hire him in the next couple of days, weeks, whatever. So um, I don't think that it's necessary to do that. Uh, James Franklin always works on his own clock and that's how kind of that works. Uh, speaking of clock, the first part of that, um, we, I think we've yeah. discussed this before. It's a lot easier being a pro coach from a schedule perspective. You know, the, the pressure is, is very high in the program as well. Um, but you have the opportunity to have more free time, have more downtime. You don't have to recruit. There is a general manager that does your recruiting for you. And that I cannot imagine for for a college coach how much uh, how inviting that must sound, especially in these down times when you're still having to text and still having to call and still having to do recruiting stuff basically every day. Yeah, let's let's reframe what you just said. It's not that the NFL is easier; it's college football coaching stinks. Like it's awful. <laughs> these guys, I, I I'm being somewhat hyperbolic or. That's a first. Yeah. I, that's not the, that's, that's not the right word. In any case, <laughs> uh, 
they are like miserable because of the time demands. These guys are coming in at the office at seven o'clock in the morning every day and leaving at 10 o'clock at night. Right. It is, it is just all day, every day. There's something to do. There's the, the, the calendar never lets up the recruiting schedule, you name it. It's just, it's just not, I mean, legitimately, I've, I've been able to get to know people through the years. It's not just football. Uh, basketball has some of this as well. It, it is just you don't have time to be a human. And for anybody who has a family and that family wants to have a human as a husband and a father, uh, it, it can be a little bit miserable. So yeah. it's uh, not about you, playing golf. Like it's it's the, it's the whole thing. Like it's yeah. it's more stress, uh, more stress in some areas because it is the NFL. It's the pro. It's the highest level. Heck of a lot less stress in uh, in your day to day life. I, th- I would think so. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. we'll see. It'll, it's going to be interesting. I, I mean, I posted this on Investor Board the other day. Uh, it's just it's interesting to see how these guys like it. To me, that it seems like a very stark contrast between uh, head coaching track guys who are willing to put in that time and willing to do those different things to, to elevate and to climb the ladder versus if you're a position coach uh, and you want to be a position coach and you, that, that's not something that you aspire to, to change to, to be, become a head coach. Uh, I mean, it, it just, yeah, the NFL would appear to be fairly uh, intriguing and appealing. And it's, so. and it's worth saying, it's worth saying Th- these guys are well compensated. Absolutely. But you can get a similar level of compensate compensation for the pro job. And that, that kind of makes sense. Like it's not, it, it's not, we're not saying feel bad for the coaches. This is a, cho- a choice and they got into this and everything like that. But at the same time, like there's a lot that comes along with it that you just don't think about other than being on, being out there 13 Saturdays or uh, whatever a year. There, there is a massive difference between the guy making eight and a half million dollars a year and the guy's making $500,000 a year. And it, and it, and I know, I mean, certainly I understand the $500,000 is still a lot of money, but if you are working uh, essentially or effectively two and a half jobs to get there, the compensation level doesn't seem uh, quite as appealing. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Anyway, yeah, Gronky, could you envision? Here we go. Okay, so this is—I don't know if I'm going to read the whole thing. <laughs> could could you envision a scenario in a few years when players union unionize and are deemed employees versus students that they're no longer guaranteed the full four years of a scholarship and instead seem uh, as yearly employees with contracts that need to be renewed? Also, would it change injury reports based on that new structure? What's what's the future of college football look like? That's the question. Yeah, it's a it's a very good question because I don't think anybody has a, a great answer for it. I think collective bargaining comes into it eventually. TV money is is the thing that I keep going back to. Is you're making a billion dollars, uh, you know, you can split that up and, and make that work. Um, 
the unionizing, the employees, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's a lot to be worked out. And I don't know how long it's going to take. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's certainly um, certainly something to look at. I, I will say with the injury reports, I'm very curious to see how much legalized gambling has to deal with that. Like that's a big, big business. And that is something where it's not, it's, it's not like shady guy in an alley anymore. It is like promotional name sponsors that can sponsor your conference. They can sponsor your, uh, your, your television deals. They can sponsor, you know, the networks. So that is the interesting thing to me, not so much from a like standardized perspective because no coach wants to give out that a guy has a hangnail. Like that's, that's the nature of college football coaches that want to control as much as they control. Um, will they be made to do this? I don't know. And it, that that's tough, man. Cause that's, uh, it's going to change a lot for a lot of, a lot of coaches. Yeah. I, I mean, who knows, right? Who knows? The, the one thing that's been consistent from James Franklin on this topic is simply that if, if, if someone is doing it, it has to be everyone. It has to be all of college football, not even just the big 10 because, right. uh, and he's talked about this with a lot of things. It's, if you're a, if you're a conference, you're or a conference commissioner or the, the the people who make decisions within a conference, your responsibility is to position the conference to be competitive and to, and to not right, put yourself not, at a competitive disadvantage by doing that. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Which is which is why things like scheduling, standardization, injury report, like all of those different things fall under that umbrella of hey, why why would you do anything that doesn't put you in the best spot to compete nationally. Uh, certainly the response to that is billion dollars, billion dollar, billion dollar television contract. That's a hell of a response. <laughs> nine game slate. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's, well, it, I mean, even right now is our, our four to five years of a scholarship actually guaranteed at this point. I think it's year to year, but um, no, it's, it's, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's already, system, it's already not there. Yeah. So, um, you make an interesting point with scheduling standards because people get upset when Penn state schedules Maine or whoever, you know, it's just the first thing that came to me. Um, but Penn state, I don't think most of these schools want to schedule the big boys because it puts them at a competitive disadvantage if they lose that game. And, you know, all of a sudden that's the tiebreaker between a 10 and two team that wants to get in the playoff. And now we're talking about the, the the normal playoff factor. So I, I just think it's interesting when you talk about the standards, it's like, why would you do that? If it's going to, if, if not everybody is, is made to do that. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I expected more from you than, yeah, just so you know, cause I know I have heard you talk about this before. Uh, yeah, but you're doing a really nice job yourself. So oh, thank you. We'll, uh, we'll move on. Philip in the Valley, our guy, what's with the flurry of D line offers in the days after John Scott left. All right. I love this question um, because it was it popped up a few times on our message boards. And who's putting out these offers? Well, it's it's the recruiting staff. It's Kenny Sanders. It's uh, Alan Zomitis. So you've got different camps in that building. You've got the recruiting office. You've got the coaching staff. Um, they, you know, for the most part, they agree on a lot of things. But there is um, disagreement between, you know, there's different disagreements between guys in the recruiting staff that get these tapes first and to get a little bit more of the in, you know, the in deep evaluations and things like that before it gets to the coaching staff. And then there's disagreements between the recruiting staff and the coaching staff where, and, and this is not like, you know, yelling at each other, all that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, I, I hate like you. <laughs> yes, exactly. 
Um, so you've got these disagreements. So there might be guys on the fence, like the recruiting staff might like this guy um, and the coaching in John Scott Jr. may not have liked this guy. So now you've got a little bit of a gray area, a little bit of an opportunity if you're a recruiting staff to get out and just, you know, throw your name in the hat because these offers don't mean as much uh, anymore, but they, they mean even less when you don't offer the kid. So um, you're seeing these offers go out to guys that you thought the, you know, maybe one guy liked, maybe another guy didn't like, and it's kind of just getting in there just in case the new guy comes in and wants to pursue this guy. You're already in there. So um, that's kind of where they're standing with that. It's not, it's nothing to read into. Um, it happens like everywhere. I think they offered a receiver, um, you know, when, when there was no receivers coach, like that's kind of how this stuff works. So um, I think it's a, a sense of the recruiting staff saw some guys they liked and they decided to move on them and uh, made it happen. And, and I don't think there's any much, there, there's not much more to it than that. LB Lion, moving on. Who runs the fastest 40 at the combine? Tig. Parker Washington or Joey Porter Jr. Um, or PJ Mustafer. Yeah, could be PJ. Um, thanks to uh, Andrew Callahan, sent us some stuff uh, on PJ yesterday from the ca- from the combine. Um, but uh, I I would go with if, if everyone is running, and, and that's never a guarantee. Parker Washington had a leg injury late in the season, so is he ready to run right now? I don't know. I haven't seen anything that would indicate that he is. Uh, one way or the other, um, Tig Brown, I think he's going to have to run, um, because he's, uh, he's a guy that, uh, you know, you're wondering, is he a four, six guy? Is he a four, four guy? It's hard to say. I think that Joey would run the fastest. Joey was much faster, uh, when he arrived than, than people thought, like he ran in the, the high four set, uh, excuse me, the high four fours, I think it was four, four, seven. Um, and that really surprised some people considering his build, considering that they, they thought he was a four, six guy coming in. So, um, can't help but think that he's gotten faster so i think he's going to surprise some people if he runs over four or under four or five i think he's a lock for the first round um in that uh in that metric but uh we'll see if he if he's able to go but i think if you lined all these three guys up on their best day i think porter would probably come out ahead um because he's uh he's just a little bit faster but i mean all fast guys all productive players so i i don't think that that's uh i don't think there's a ton of difference there between those three sure i'm with you great Miller 22, does Penn State's pro day time, it, we're going to stick with the 40 here, does Penn State's pro day time, uh, does Penn State's pro day time the You'll 40? It. Yeah, I know, it's it's just a little bit different emphasis. Uh, the exact same way the NFL Combine does. Rumors were Penn State's track was fast, but I think that was an old track. Yes, I believe technology has come a long way. Um, it's not quite as fast as Virginia Tech's track used to be, which they used to have guys in the four twos uh, regularly. Um, but yeah, I, I believe, and this might be outdated. So the NFL Combine does a laser start and a laser finish. Um, I believe Penn State does the hand start with the laser finish. So very close on times, but the laser obviously is going to be the most accurate um, for the NFL Combine. So um, I, I, Penn state's times have been very good in terms of accurately, you know, putting them side by side. You remember Chris Godwin went to the, uh, went to the combine and ran really well. Um, well, that was very close to his Penn state time. Um, I think it actually may have been just above or just below his Penn state time. So the times for Penn state, when you're talking about, um, like winter testing and things like that, the stuff that we, we get and report, 
actually pretty accurate, you know, compared to the general college football uh, landscape. So Penn State does a really good job of, of timing their guys to get the, the math right, getting multiple watches on them and trying to figure out where that time actually is. And, and I think they've done a really good job with that in the, in the past and have been more accurate than most. I'll say that. Yeah, this is uh, just a brief aside, but they work on it. Like they work on, they focus on running the 40. They focus on these times um, and these different drills that you're going to eventually see in the combine or in a pro day situation. Um, So all the numbers are good. (laughs) I mean, if they've just done a really nice job uh, testing based on that standard that, uh, that they've put into it. Big chungus. 44 asks, uh, since the season ended, what has changed for you that number one, you're relatively much more optimistic about for 2023 and number two feel is a bigger concern than previously thought. Let's start with one. Okay. Let's, that's a good, good place to start. I'm going to go with wide receiver. I I'm probably falling into a trap here because I told myself after the season, there's a lot to work on and they were struggling in the portal for a while. And then, you know, things moved very fast and they did a really, really good job of, of retooling and restocking uh, a guy that we think is going to be ready right away in Cephas and a guy that might be ready and might be further along than we thought in Malik McLean. Um, so I, I think I've talked to my or talked myself into being more optimistic about the receivers. Uh, I still want to see them go out. Still want to see them catch the ball. Like that's the thing. Like we we can hear about workouts. We can hear about uh, the physical numbers and the testing numbers and everything like that. But you got to catch the ball, and that's uh, that's kind of where I'm holding back uh, on that group. But like they got better in a short period of time, and they have the ability to uh, catch up with with the rest of some of those uh, position groups that are, are are already better than that that wide receiver group. So. I've talked myself into it. Maybe I'll talk myself out of it. Who's who's to say? Um, but like, feel better about it than I do two months ago. How about how about this? I'm gonna I'm gonna really curveball you here. I'll go with the linebackers. I just think in general that group will be fine. I, I know that there's a lot of consternation and there's plenty of reason to doubt, um, you know, or, or have some misgivings. I would say about uh, what what they have there at Mike, but I I don't. I I actually do think that you know, you give Kobe King another year, right. Of off season development, um, you, you know, give Elsden another off season to, to continue his development. I, I just think that regardless of how it all shakes out uh, when, when you've got a guy in Curtis Jacobs, who should have the opportunity to be at a position that he feels very comfortable in most comfortable in this season uh, and Abdul Carter, you, you're going to come out feeling pretty good. That, that has an opportunity to be a really good group next year. Uh, what do you feel is a bigger concern than you previously thought? Uh, I'll go with leadership. Like, where's it coming from? Like, who who are going to be the guys that step up? I know we've talked about this before, especially on the site. Um, but, like, the the reason Penn State did what they did last season, they did not fold down the stretch. I know they didn't win the big games that uh, people wanted them to win in the season. But in the past, that has led to them folding and, you know, ending up in a, in a lower-tier bowl. Um, they were able to rebound. They were able to do so, do so because of Sean Clifford and Tig Brown and Jonathan Sutherland and you know some of those guys that uh, are now out the door. PJ Mustafer, obviously. Um, so like that was a really really good group of leaders, and now all of a sudden it's a fresh start. I know that's college football. It's 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 the cycle that we always talk about. Um, and you're going to have to find some of those things. And you know you've you've heard good things about the guys stepping up, but like that's a lot to take on 
for guys to make that leap, especially, I mean, like you had John Clifford was four-time captain, was it? Uh, John Sutherland was a multiple-time captain. So you had guys in that role for so long and so comfortable in that role that you now have to dig that out in one offseason, and that could take longer than you want. Yep. Yeah, and I, and I'll I'll just expand on that briefly. Uh, I feel I'm not going to say less optimistic, but I I do think that receiver is still a concern. I yep. think that all of the offense. Let's just expand it, right? Like just figuring out the offense, uh, what you're doing at quarterback. No matter who the quarterback is, you're going to have a first year starter there. So uh, a first year starter who not only is a first year starter, but is also 19 years old. Right. So just doesn't have the, the, the reps doesn't have the chops, doesn't, doesn't have all of that background, that wealth of years of practice reps uh, to, to build on and, and get collaborate, right. Get all of that together. The, the, I mean, it's so cliche, but like the gelling with the receivers, all, all of those aspects I think are, are just up in the air right now. So is it, is it a bigger concern than I thought it was on January 1st? No, but the same, right? I mean, I, I still think it's something that is, is going to be watched and there, there's there's just a, a big, there's a lot of runway for this group to get better, right? For this group to, to, uh, to, to put it together between now and next season. Beaverman, 72, more likely to be a spring practice standout. Malik McLean, at wide out or one of the red shirt freshman receivers? I'll go McLean. Um, I think, you know, he's physically there. Uh, the guys that you're talking about, the red shirt freshman, Caden Wallace, or excuse me, Caden Wallace, uh, Caden Saunders has an opportunity to do that. Um, like I said, it's going to depend on what Penn State does ahead of him in the slot with uh, with Keandre Lambert-Smith, but heard good things about Liam Clifford as well. So uh, I think the, the impact, the ceiling impact of Malik McLean um, is – a higher potential right there. Tyler Johnson, I think is still catching up in terms of, of, of speed of the game. And, you know, that big, that, that was a big jump that he made from rural Southern Virginia to the big 10. So um, I think that McLean is the, the, the easy answer here. And I'm, it's the one I'm going to go with. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'm no disagreement, no disagreement. Chester Copperpot. We're, we're wrapping up here. Chester Copperpot had a couple of questions. We're going to go with the second because we like it more. Speed seems to be a concern within the wide receiver room. If Nick Singleton develops more into a receiving threat, could he provide that speed element in the passing game, either out of the backfield or split out in the slot? Okay. So Nick Singleton is very good at football. Uh, you have detailed this in, in, in great detail. Um, he learned a lot of things as a freshman. Uh, you could see visible progress of him as an inside runner, like as the games went on. And then obviously at the end of the season, did a nice job with that. So now that you've got him not up to speed, like he's not as good as he's going to be, I don't think, um, because he has all that potential in the world. Um, but now that you've been able to get him as a complete running back, the next step is obviously, you know, using him as a complete weapon. And so to me, he takes a step this year toward using uh, toward their use of Saquon. Like that is the blueprint. That is what it's going to be. Like you're going to figure out, um, or you're going to compare him to Saquon. Then, then, then we're going to try and figure out how many things he can do like Saquon. So I think that this is the year that you can take that step and you can move him around. And I'm not necessarily, you know, I, they've got two really, really good sophomore running backs. Um, so yeah, you know, get those guys on the field as much as possible. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I think this is a year that you can make them split out. You can put them in motion. It's more so more so putting them in motion than than splitting them out. Uh, you saw at the end of the year that they would throw screens to him and and get him out wide and things like that because he is so explosive. He is so uh, you know I don't want to say he's the most elusive guy out there, but he's a guy that can can cut your defense up. So yes, I think this is the next step in the evolution to using him like you used to Saquon Barkley. James Franklin is going to romanticize using guys like that. He's going to remember using Chris Godwin. He's going to remember using Mike Gesicki. He wants to use his tools that he has now like the best of their uh, of the ones that he's had in the past and so this is the the opportunity to take the next step to making him Saquon Barkley yeah and uh and here's a here's a I don't know if it's actually a nugget for you or not but I I when they made the freshman available uh, earlier in February uh I was with Nick and I, you know it was like hey does does it frustrate you does your because he, he pointed to it. He was just like, oh, I got to catch the ball better. I got to be able to catch the That's ball. It. Yep. Uh, and and that was like his major thing to improve. But Nugget, he said that Franklin encouraged him to spend more time with the receivers than the running backs. He was like, don't run running back routes, run receiver routes, <laughs> get get reps, catching the ball from the receiver position, spend time with the receivers. Uh, and so that was something that should feel like deja vu because it is deja vu. That's exactly what Saquon Barkley talked about, um, you know, during his development. So like, there's no mystery here. It's, it's something that he wants to get better at. It's something that he believes and the program obviously believes can be added to his repertoire and make him even more dangerous uh, as an offensive weapon than he already is. And so. an excellent point there that he needs to catch the ball. He like he that is that was not pretty sometimes when he went out to catch the ball. So he works on that. He has the opportunity to get where he needs to be as a receiver. It's just a matter of catch, catch the ball. So um, if he does that, that, that puts him in a really dangerous position. Uh, you can ask TJ Watt, uh, one of the best players in the NFL, how hard it is to guard a guy like that um, because he has lived it. So yeah, it gives you so many out like the, like the tight ends. Um, you can line them up all over the field, gives you so many options. And uh, yeah, if you got him, use it. Cause he's not gonna be around forever. And it's, and it's different, right? I mean, that's, that's a key point there is it's, it is different catching a swing pass, which again, he will be called upon to do, but also being out in space and running at a traditional receiver route, uh, which are things that I think he's going to be asked to do next season. So good on you, Chester Copperpot. Fitz, that's it. Okay, we did it. Thanks, Chester. Chester's great. Um, Thanks, but, Chester. Uh, yeah, we did it. Um, we, we only talked two minutes of basketball, so if you you know scrub through the first uh, couple of minutes of that, I think we got some good football <laughs> content in. Again, we have our, our open workout that will be done by the time this airs, so I'm not even sure why I'm putting this out there, but uh, check us out. BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. Uh, like our stuff. Follow our stuff. Uh, the off-season coverage, I think, been very good. Worth checking out. So, uh, uh, for Nate, I am Sean. I think we'll close out the episode, and, and we'll catch you again. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. 
I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.